For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. A quick warning before we get started. This episode contains some adult language. If you're listening with kids, you might want to skip this one. Hey, Amy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, thanks for taking a minute to... Last year, I was renting a room in Chicago. My landlord, whose voice you just heard, was Amy. The apartment we lived in was on this beautiful tree-lined street. It's just so peaceful and calm and quiet and full of beautiful trees and families. And you can sleep with the windows open. It's a very beautiful community. But since I arrived there... Amy's attitude towards this area has changed a little bit because of an app she had downloaded called Citizen that fed her every detail of what was going wrong in the neighborhood. It turned out like one block from my front door, people are being robbed, people are being attacked, (laughs) women are being assaulted. And there were places I would walk to that I just stopped walking to, like walking to the lake alone. I would never do that now. Started parking closer to work. Really, if I meet a friend for dinner in the neighborhood, kind of scared about walking home. It's changed things a lot. I used to just walk around carefree, not scared or worried. But then as soon as I started looking at that app, I was was scared to death. Citizen combines reports from police scanners with user submissions to create an interactive map of all the shifty things happening around you all the time. It's a map and there's little signs on the map and you click on it and it tells you what's happening, a fire or people at the Armitage Brown Line with guns or whatever it might be. It'll tell you everything that's gone on for the last couple of days. It really changed the way she thought about her neighborhood. At the end, when I was on it, I mean, there were a lot of carjackings going on. So I was even nervous in my car. I would purposefully not drive close to the car in front of me so that I could always get around it. 
because people were getting kind of barricaded in between two cars and then getting carjacked. It just made me really nervous. At one point, Amy's daughter and I told her, you've got to delete this thing because this part of Chicago where she lives, Edgewater, it's a safe neighborhood and not just by big city standards or by Chicago standards. 60,000 people live in Edgewater and it averages less than one homicide a year. Our intervention didn't work. But just a few months ago, after I'd left, Amy did give up using Citizen. And she told me, I'm a nurse in a pandemic. I don't need any more anxiety. And slowly, her fear of what was happening around her began to ease. And in the two months since you stopped looking at it, um, have you been confronted by any hatchet-wielding maniacs or mugged on the way to the beach? (laughs) None. (laughs) None. (laughs) Today on the show, we talk to Motherboard's Joseph Cox about Citizen, an app that his reporting shows is designed to do exactly what it did for Amy, not just make people aware of what's going on around them, but make them afraid. And what makes it all the more worrisome is what Citizen is telling you may not always be true. That and more after the break. I'm Henry Grabar, in for Lizzie O'Leary. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Breaking tonight at 11, the Palisades fire explodes, forcing mandatory evacuations. The blaze broke On May 14th, a brush fire broke out on the west side of Los Angeles. With most of California suffering a severe drought, it was a frighteningly early harbinger of the fire season to come. I'll let Joseph Cox, a reporter for Vice's motherboard, tell you how Citizen comes into this story. So Citizen started doing what it normally does, which is, you know, inform its user base of ongoing events. But then information made its way into Citizen about the identity of a particular person that Citizen then suspected of starting the fire. This was, I believe, uh, a person currently experiencing homelessness in the city. And Citizen published this person's name, their photo, and put a bounty, essentially, on this person's head. Any citizen user that could contribute information that would lead to this person's arrest would get 10K, and then eventually 20, and then eventually $30,000 by the end of the night. And all this is happening on this live stream, right? So it's like, in addition to the normal interface of the Citizen app, they have this 
almost like a TV channel that, that, that pops up for users, right? Yeah, so Citizen has this relatively new product called On Air. And as you say, it's basically like a pseudo cable TV show where they have a host or two uh, in little circles on the screen and they'll be talking and discussing the incident and reading out information that may be coming to them. They'll also, you know, be interviews with people on the ground who are at the scene. So during this entire time, during this, you know, self-created manhunt for this person experiencing homelessness, you're right, they're broadcasting this not just in push alerts, but essentially as a reality TV show, in a way, to their end users, which includes something like 800,000 people in Los Angeles would have got push alerts for this event. 800,000 people? Yes, that would have been how many people saw the push alert, I believe, in Los Angeles. It was over 800,000 people. Yeah. Just to put that in perspective, that would be a push alert to one in every five people living in the city of Los Angeles, offering a bounty of $30,000 to bring in a homeless man. If you click through to watch that live stream, which Joseph's editor Jason Kobler did, you would have seen a virtual wanted poster, hosts issuing constant reminders about an escalating bounty. At one point, according to Motherboard, Prince Map, the app's head of community, told viewers, quote, We need you to help us contact him and identify where he is. We need the scent of his clothing. This wasn't just a TV performance. Cox got access to internal slacks and other documents that showed how the company's CEO, a software developer and entrepreneur named Andrew Frame, was thinking about the manhunt. But as we found out from the leaked Slack chats, this wasn't just sort of the hosts, you know, going ad lib and just improvising. They were being directed uh, sometimes by other citizen employees saying, you know, mention the bounty again, mention the bounty again. But also sometimes by Andrew Frame, the CEO himself, talking about how we need to find this person. This is a an evil person. Uh, and I should just clarify before we continue this person who was ex experiencing homelessness, who was targeted with the bounty, was the wrong guy. He was not the person who was eventually arrested with suspicion of starting the wildfire. So this entire time, this entire evening of Andrew Frame getting increasingly agitated at hunting down this person, it was the wrong person all along. Do you have him on hand? Can you read me some of the things that the CEO wrote in the company Slack while this was happening? I mean, he says, find this fuck. Let's get this guy before midnight. He's going down. Um, breaking news. This guy is the devil. Get him. By midnight, we hate this guy. Get him. He explicitly at one point says, this will be good for our metrics. If we go and find an evil person every day, this is going to be better for our user base. And that was the, the killer quote for me. The explicit admission that this was, at least in part, to increase their user base is, I mean, it exposes Citizen for what it is, which is it is simultaneously trying to present itself as a public service, you know, to help people. But it's also at the whims and the pushes and pulls of any other tech startup, which is, you know, generating revenue, which my understanding is they're not particularly good at that right now, and increasing their user base, just like, you know, Twitter or Facebook or anything else. Except in this case, they're on the ground encouraging the hunting of people explicitly. Right. It's it's like if cops were broadcast live and the people in the show weren't actually cops. Right, right. And, and I guess I should just clarify that much, if not most, of citizens' information does come from police scanners. You know, they hire people in the U.S. and uh, also potentially in Nepal and in Kenya, as our reporting showed, who are listening to police scanners and then, you know, just typing them up, summarizing them and sending out the push alerts. So a lot of the information does come from the um, 
public police radios that you can access. But of course, that qualitatively becomes something else when you are broadcasting it, as you say, to a huge chunk of Los Angeles, and also explicitly linking a bounty to it. You know, that is going further uh, in, in some ways than, you know, just listening to what the police are doing. In this instance, users did not find Citizens Wanted Man. The next day, the LAPD arrested and charged a different man for starting the 1,200-acre fire. Citizen apologized. This was a mistake we are taking very seriously, the company said. Still, Motherboard reporter Joseph Cox says, this kind of user-led hunt for justice has been Citizens' plan all along. So in 2016, I believe, initially the app launched as uh, Vigilante, which is a much more uh, explicit name, uh, including with its, you know, its goals. Its advert was a woman is walking down the street in New York. Uh, A strange, suspicious man follows her. Um, a push alert goes out to all of these people around New York, and then the good citizens of the various boroughs, boroughs come and, you know, save the woman. And that is uh, the goal of the app, to bring communities together to fight crime. Apple, as in, you know, the iPhone manufacturer, did not appreciate that, and it found it violated the App Store's terms of service, uh, and they removed the app briefly. Citizen then comes back, Uh, about a year later, and launches with its new name, uh, as we know it is now, Citizen. You guys got this data showing how many things are being reported through this app, and whether they're coming from the police scanner or from user submissions, are looking at 500,000 incidents every week in New York City, Mm 250,000 in LA, 100,000 in Chicago. I mean, it sounds like using this app, you must just be blanketed with notifications. Yeah, I mean, the first time I heard about Citizen was when one of my friends, they actually use it and they do receive these notifications and their phone would keep going off. And I would ask, oh, uh, what's up? Are you busy? Do you need to, you know, text someone back or something? And no, it's the Citizen app (laughs) going on and on and on about what is happening in XYZ. How do all these alerts make their way into the app, right? Like there's a police scanner, there's user submissions. How do they make sure that what's going into the app is... Um, verified, trustworthy, that we're not just, you know, we've seen with social networks that are focused on neighborhood safety, how they can become a breeding ground for a kind of racist paranoia about who is walking through the neighborhood at a given time. Um, what did Citizen do to avoid that and to make sure that doing something as delicate as as, as corralling all this public safety information, they were protecting uh, people who who might get caught up in it? When it comes to the end of the day, Citizen does just publish a lot of stuff. And sometimes it does turn out to be false. I mean, often this can happen with shootings, you know, uh, on the police scanner, they could say shots fired, they turn up and that wasn't the case. Maybe it was a car backfiring or anything else. Or one report, it was, you know, reports a woman was shot, a Citizen user turned up there and there was no evidence that actually happened. And it was potentially something, something else as well. So, They're kind of stuck in that they're heavily relying on the police scanner audio, but they don't necessarily verify that at the time. You know, they're they're just reporting what the police are saying. But in the age of social media, that's not really an excuse. You know, it's intellectually lazy. If we just published as media outlets, well, it's just what the cops said. Well, we've seen what happens when you believe the police narrative, right? So right. And you're not even talking about, it's not even believing the police, right? You're talking about them running basically an entire story based on an initial uh, 
uh, something they heard on the police scanner without even, you know, if, at least as local reporters, if you ran the crime blotter, you would at least follow up with the precinct and say, you know, what came of that? Did a woman really get shot last night on the corner? Right, exactly. They're not doing, it seems, much reporting at all. And we're at least with some of the outsourcing to Cloud Factory, which is this sort of, you know, uh, labor shop, uh, which has workers in Nepal and Kenya. These are people who are seemingly very far away from what is actually going on, trying to cover hyper-local incidents. This isn't even local news. This is hyper-local news. You know, this is stuff that happened on your street corner or maybe a couple of blocks away. Uh, And potentially, uh, workers overseas don't have the necessary context to interpret the police scanners uh, like that. There is also apparently some cases, at least uh, former employees told me, of the cloud factory workers, including information that would ordinarily be cut out, such as when there is, you know, a domestic violence situation situation citizens internal policies as they were described to me is that we don't they don't publish the specific address where that's happening they'll say a street or a corner or something like that it's some attempt of anonymization there but sometimes those slip through the cracks as well and because the cloud factory workers are inputting this information directly into the app and pushing it out the other citizen workers then have to come and correct it once it's already live so mm. there isn't some sort of editorial process beforehand it unfortunately seems to happen only after the fact. When we come back, the manhunt isn't the only way that Citizen is trying to get off your phone and into the real world. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. What we saw in L.A. Um, the other week, it, it strikes me, it looks more like the original iteration of the app, um, the one that got banned from the App Store, Vigilante. Um, and, and some of your reporting indicates that um, while Vigilante uh, may have been banned from the App Store and the app changed its name to um, the uh, sort of impeccably titled Citizen, uh, that the actual mission didn't change that much. And they still saw the long-term goal as being about um, users fighting crime. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think the the goal has necessarily changed. It has just been sort of how they present it and their moves into COVID contact tracing and that sort of thing bolster that. But when you have the CEO just screaming in these Slack chats to capture somebody who turned out not to even be related to this incident at all, I mean, it's highly, it's highly concerning. Right. And it does, as, as you say, it just shows that, you know, this is ultimately a app driven vigilante force, I think is how we phrased it. And I don't like to exaggerate in my coverage. Any of my editors will tell you I'm always the one who's trying to hedge or trying to water something down because I just want to be absolutely 100% fair. But that is what we called in the end. And I 100% agree with that. This is an app driven vigilante force. Part of what you've found also in Los Angeles in, in, in recent days is that 
this is part of a strategy not just to make people paranoid and to make them tune in and to generate incredible clips of locals trying to apprehend suspects on their own, um, which is sort of what we see in the uh, original ad for Vigilante, but also that this is this is a business model predicated on basically marketing private security. Yes. So, I mean, this is how I originally got much more interested in Citizen, because a couple of weeks ago, a Twitter user posted a photo of a black tinted windows vehicle with the Citizen logo branded across it. And clearly this was Citizen reach, reaching out into the physical world in a way. Like they were they were no longer just in an app and transcribing information. They were having some sort of presence in the physical world driving around Los Angeles. Yes, they are testing a on-demand private security force. Uh, Citizen isn't the one that provides, you know, the the, the workers themselves, they're planning to partner with one was called Los Angeles Professional Security and another is Securitas. So you would, the idea at least is you would use the app, you would say, I need help and a car would come up to you and then, you know, deal with whatever problem you had. And it just seems like this is a company that is desperate for monetization in the way that it's even going to not only do these truly insane bounty stunts, but also f- step into the physical world with this private security as well. It sounds like Citizen is trying to circumvent the role of the actual police, not to mention perhaps even the justice system. I mean, they are, they're putting out alerts. Uh, they're putting essentially out a, a digital wanted poster for a guy uh, on their own accord uh, on the one hand. And then on the other, they're also trying to be the people you call basically when you feel like you might be in danger, that they can show up and maybe provide um, a faster and uh, more efficient service than the police, or at least I imagine that's that's the pitch to users. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, in the internal documents we got as well, they mentioned that the Los Angeles Police Department, when told about this private security test from Citizen, allegedly called it a game changer. The documents didn't name, you know, who specifically said that, and the LEPD hasn't given a substantial answer to that. But there there is a sort of friction there in that, at least in the LAPD's eyes, there is a lot of property crime going on in LA and they simply can't get they can't get their officers to the location in time. So Citizen could potentially fill that hole. Uh, but of course, that is a conversation that probably shouldn't be happening in secret. It's one that should probably be happening in public. So the citizens of Los Angeles can decide whether they want an on-call private security force turning up for random crimes. Right. And, and it makes you wonder too, what was the end game of the manhunt on Friday night for for the man suspected of starting the fire. I mean, what was going to happen if someone after that $30,000 bounty um, found him? Yeah, and I think that is one of the main takeaways from here is that we were probably just lucky that nothing more substantial happened. I mean, something did happen. An innocent man had a bounty put on his head and, you know, all these push notifications went out. But nobody, as far as we know, found him or harassed him or potentially even worse uh, you know, so I don't know if Citizen is going to put another bounty on someone's head. They have publicly apologized for this and indicated that they won't. But the fact that they even did this in the first place shows that this is a company that is just willing to push the boundaries of what this sort of vigilante force an app is capable of. Let me ask you one more thing. When this app initially debuted as Vigilante and at moments uh, since, law enforcement has expressed some hesitancy about the um, about the company encouraging people to go out there and make citizens arrests, uh, go after people, approach crime scenes, uh, and so on. 
Um, but at the same time, we've also seen Citizen get into some pretty high-level collaborations with local governments who have come to see them as, uh, I don't want to say a trusted partner, but a partner. Um, and I'm wondering what you think the fallout of this is, uh, both within the company and maybe with some of, of the company's external partners. Yeah, so immediately after the bounty incident, I believe it was a public affairs official from one of the LA uh, agencies said that this could be potentially disastrous for citizens, you know, obviously putting the bounty on the wrong person's head. Uh, So of course, there's going to be maybe not a severing, but certainly a blow to sort of the relationship there in LA. But LA has been something of the epicenter for citizen when it comes to partnerships. They do seem to have some sort of working relationship with the LAPD. So there is a relationship uh, there, and potentially they want to mimic that across the country as well. I don't know where citizens going to go from here, as in are they going to try to partner with more police forces? Is there anything uh, fruitful for them there? But ultimately, I feel like they're going to come back to the same question, is that is this going to generate revenue for us? Is this going to generate profits for us? And if not, why don't we just do something more radical again, like putting a bounty on someone's head or putting undercover street teams, you know? I just don't know if their product is going to actually be that beneficial for the police and whether the police would, you know, give any sort of financial incentive to citizens as well. So it remains to be seen sort of what that relationship is going to be. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Joseph Cox covers hackers, crime and privacy for Vice. That's our show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. This week, we're edited by Tori Bosch and Alicia Montgomery. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you missed the episode of What Next on the death of the Capitol Riot Commission, go back and check it out. Mary Harris will be back Monday to host regular What Next, and Lizzie O'Leary will be back here next Friday. I'm Henry Grabar. Thanks for listening. 